down to assembly of God. Welcome to Easter Sunday. It is a beautiful day. Everybody, just take a look outside, out the window, and you, you are just experiencing a beautiful spring day, a beautiful Easter Sunday, and we're just thankful that you've chosen to worship with us. If it's your very first time, or it's the first time in a little while, we say thank you for joining with us and spending Easter Sunday with us here at Alder Assembly of God. Together, we are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I read a, a story about a little girl named Mackenzie. Maybe she would be similar to a handful of some of the little girls that were in here earlier before going to kids' church. Now, little Mackenzie wasn't one to try to start a theological debate but she simply wanted to make a point. She was wanting to make a point about Jesus and his resurrection. Well, you see, it was in Sunday school, and her Sunday school teacher was teaching and making a point about Jesus and his resurrection. And the Sunday school teacher was encouraging Mackenzie and all the other little boys and girls with the fact that Jesus is everywhere. That Jesus is with us and Jesus is everywhere. But for some reason, that didn't sound quite right to little Mackenzie in the Sunday school class. So she kind of boldly raised her hand, interrupting the teacher. Teachers love getting interrupted, right? So she raised her hand and, and the teacher called on her and she said, Teacher, I know some place where Jesus isn't. The teacher was a little bit flustered and curious. And so, really, Mackenzie, where is that? She, she was really trying to push hard how Jesus is everywhere. Little Mackenzie said, he's not in the grave. <laughs> From the mouth of babes, what a great reminder. Yes, we welcome the presence of Jesus Christ. He is with us at all times. But there's one place he is not. He is not in the grave. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried, but he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. So I want you to think for a moment about some individual days that maybe have changed our nation. You probably think about some different ones that stand out in your mind. And depending on how long you've been on the earth, you, you might go back a little farther than others. But certainly there are some big days that have kind of shaped or changed our nation. Whether that's uh, some of the days of the world wars. Whether that is uh, man landing on the moon. Uh, whether that's the death of JFK. Whether that is uh, just a, a number of years ago, over 20 years ago already, the events of 9-11. There are massive days that kind of stick with you in your memory. I, I remember for me as a child, what sticks out was the Challenger back in the 80s, the explosion of the Space Shuttle Challenger. That was big news for, uh, I think, elementary school. Now think about individual days that have shaped your life. There's some big days that have shaped your life. For, for many, maybe it is graduation. You've got that cap and gown and, and that little tassel you put from one side to the other. And you think, man, my life can begin. Then you get into the real world and you're like, oh, uh, let me go back for just a little bit more. Maybe it is a wedding day. 
Maybe it's the, uh, the birth of a child or the birth of a grandchild. It's uh, the retirement day. I mean, there's a whole host of days that you can look back that have changed your life. Uh, for me, certainly a day that I often look back on is July 3rd, 1999. Where were you July 3rd, 1999? I was at Big Prairie Camp meeting Kimberly Gardner for the very first time, saying, hi, my name is Mark. 11 months later on June 3rd, I was saying two very important words, I do. One day can shape a nation. One day can radically change and transform our life. Literally one day can change everything. As you look in the Word of God and we think about the events of Easter Sunday, we think about the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was just a handful of days ago where disciples of Jesus experienced what seemed to have been the worst day. As they saw the Savior, they saw Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. He crucified and died. And they placed him into the tomb. And boy, you would see the stone being rolled over the entrance to that tomb. No doubt each of them could go back to their first memories. It, it wasn't July 3rd of 1999. But they could go back to when they first encountered Jesus. There was something different about Jesus. If you've experienced what Jesus has done in a life change, you don't forget what Jesus has done in your life. Nothing had been the same since. Their eternal destiny had been changed. But now, no, no doubt, it probably felt like a dream or a nightmare. They couldn't believe Jesus was dead. On Easter Sunday, as we look to the Word of God, we remember the fact that Jesus rose again. So I want to spend a number of minutes looking at the fact that Jesus and today, Easter Sunday, it is a day like no other. Jesus is an individual like no other. A resurrection like no other. How? I'm going to give you three brief thoughts. First of all, it's an Easter Sunday like no other because it includes an empty cross. That cross is empty. So imagine with me, how many of you are good at imagining? You have a good imagination? I see, I see some pretty good imaginations. At least I'm imagining you've got some good imagination. So go with me on this. Imagine that you were there that first Easter morning. In Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, what we read is that a number of women were on their way to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. So imagine that it's early morning, sun hadn't risen yet. First of all, how many of you are early morning people? A few of you. That's about what I thought. How many of you can function in the morning before noon if you've had about a gallon of coffee? A few more of you, okay. So for some of you, it's a stretch of your imagination to be up in the morning. For others, it's a stretch to say, you know, with or without your coffee. But you're with them. The sun hadn't risen. You're on your way to the tomb, getting ready to anoint the body. 
And imagine that you kind of pause and you look at what would seem to be the city of Jerusalem. And on the top of this hill called Golgotha, it basically means the place of the skull. Nice, vivid imagery for your imagination. Some of you, you're already you're going to start doodling and drawing a skull. I, I, I got gotcha. you. Know, you'll, we'll find that later. But imagine they're kind of looking towards that place where just a few days ago, Jesus Christ had been crucified. On that hill were three crosses. But I want you to imagine with me that you're, you're kind of zooming in in your mind and your imagination on that middle cross. Can you see it? If not, squint a little bit more in your imagination. But picture that cross in the middle where Jesus Christ hung. Imagine it's really top to bottom covered and coated in blood. For the top you would see blood where the crown of thorns was brutally pushed into his head and his skull. You would see on the outskirts of that crossbar, that cross beam, how Jesus had been nailed to the cross. You see up and down the trunk of that cross, blood from his back as he had been whipped with the cat of nine tails. I know some of you probably had some really good whippings and spankings as a kid. Some of you probably deserved it. But nothing like this. I mean, your mom, your dad, your grandpa, for some of you, maybe your grandma, they probably got a good, strong spank. But nothing like a cat of nine tails that would dig into the flesh and rip it apart. Up and down, Jesus' back was beaten and bloodied. So from top to bottom, his, his feet nailed to the cross. His side, the spear that had been pierced through him, that cross was coated and covered in blood. But that cross, as you vividly imagine with me, is an empty cross. And that empty cross symbolizes the fact that you and I stand forgiven. Because it was on that cross that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. Sin is a word we tend to not use as much anymore. We prefer other words that don't offend us as much. Wrongs and mistakes, and yes, we do wrongs. The Bible says we have sinned. And we've fallen short of what God desires. Look at the person in front of you. Now turn to your left. Look at the person next to you. Now turn to your right. Now if, if you're agile enough, turn and look at the person behind you. Don't throw your neck out. No chiropractors in here. Every single person you've looked at, including me up here, every single one of us has sinned. God's word says, all have sinned and fallen short. Every single one. Not just the ones that you look at and go, yeah, well, they for sure have. Every single one of us has fallen short and we have sinned. The problem is, though, God's word as well says that the wages of our sin is death. What we earn as a result of the sin that we all have done 
is death. We love paychecks. If it's, you know, paper check that you deposit, or for, for many of you, maybe it's direct deposit, and we like the aspect of a paycheck. Uh, but we don't like the aspect of death being the paycheck. God's word says, Romans 6, 23, that the wages of our sin is death. Every single one of us, because we've done wrong, we have sinned. We deserve punishment and death. And yet, the empty cross is the reminder of God's forgiveness that Jesus Christ died in your place. He died in my place. He paid the price. There's no way I could do enough good things. I, I can't do enough to earn forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ died and he paid my price. He paid yours. We love it when people pay our price. You ever been out to eat with a friend, with a family member, and before the meal they turn to you like, I got this. It's on me today. How many of you, as soon as you heard that, what you were about to order just changed? You know, you were at McDonald's, you were, you were getting ready to order from the value menu, you're scraping together a couple bucks in your pocket, and all of a sudden they're like, I got this. You're like, yep, value meal, biggie sizes. Or, or you're out in a restaurant, maybe it's a sit-down restaurant, and you're going to get something kind of kind of small, and maybe a friend or a family member, and they said, hey, I got it. You're like, all of a sudden, steak. When someone else picks up the tab, we're very thankful. True? Can you imagine someone picking up the tab for your sin? Someone picking up the tab for my sin. You can't hardly put a price tag on that. The price tag, according to God's word, the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus died upon that cross. He paid your price. He picked up your tab. He was quick. He snatched that bill away from you. You didn't have to pay. He paid the price. In fact, Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about that for a moment. How many people would you buy a meal for? I spring for, you know, a friend. I spring for a family member, whether it's you know, fast food or out to eat. How many of you would spring for the greatest meal ever for your mortal enemy? You know that person who absolutely drives you crazy at, at school, at work, at, at wherever in the community. I mean, they just rub you the wrong way. How many of you would say, hey, let me take you out to the most expensive restaurant and pay your tab? I venture to say we're not going to get many takers on that. Because human nature says, I don't want to do something nice for someone who doesn't do something nice for me. Jesus didn't put those kinds of requirements down. 
He died in your place. He died in my place. He paid the price for each and every individual, no matter how we respond. The price has been paid. It's the question of, will we respond to it? I'm trusting, I'm believing, I'm praying. Some of you here in a few minutes are going to respond and say, yes, I want to receive what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. That cross is empty and it represents the price that he paid for you. As he died upon the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. It is. The work is finished. What I've come to do to pay the price for sins is done. Before Jesus Christ dying upon the cross, our tab of sin was huge and massive. There's no way we could pay the price. Jesus died upon that cross for me. Jesus died upon that cross for you. And that cross is empty and it illustrates the fact that stamped on that bill of sin, it's, it says forgiven. He died. He paid the price for you and for me. It's an Easter like no other. A resurrection like no other. And it's because of an empty cross. It means that you and I are forgiven. It's an Easter like no other. A resurrection like no other. Because not only is the cross empty, but the tomb is empty as well. Back to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. So the women are on their way to the tomb. They're going to get ready to hopefully anoint the body. Mark's gospel says that the women were wondering, who is going to roll the stone away so that we can do this? This massive stone, this massive boulder, if you will. I don't know that we're strong enough to do that. So they're wondering, how is this going to happen? Romans had sealed it. As they come to the tomb, Luke chapter 24, they had some remarkable findings. So, again, picture that you are with the women. You, you've stared at, you've seen the crosses that were empty, the one in the middle representing where Jesus died. Now you make your way to the tomb. And as you get there, you see, first of all, there's no soldiers guarding the tomb. Second of all, you see that the stone, this massive boulder, had been rolled away. And then two men, or angels in clothes, glowing like lightning, are standing there. So two glowing individuals, two glowing angels say, why are you looking in a tomb for someone alive? He isn't here. He has risen. I mean, it makes so much sense. What are you doing looking for someone who's alive in a place where there are dead people? But the women were thinking, no doubt. But he did die. And he was placed in there. But the tomb is empty. Not just that Jesus died upon the cross and paid the price for our sins. The tomb is empty and it's proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A Leadership Magazine article tells a story about a boy named Philip. Philip was born with Down syndrome. He attended a third grade Sunday school class with some other 
eight-year-old boys and girls. Typical of that age, unfortunately, some of the children didn't readily accept Philip because of some of his differences. Now, the Sunday after Easter, the teacher had brought legs, pantyhose containers. Am I familiar with legs, pantyhose containers? Basically, large jumbo eggs with pantyhose inside. And so the teacher brought these, minus the pantyhose, because I'm not sure that that was in the, uh, the gospel story anywhere. So she brought the large eggs, and with her class, she was teaching about what had just happened the past week, one week ago on Easter Sunday, and she was representing that Easter represents new life. And so she gave each of the children one of these plastic eggs, and the instructions were to go home over the next week, find something that represents new life in light of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, put it in the egg, close it up, and bring it to Sunday school next week. So one week later they show up and, and all of these eggs are placed across the front of the classroom and so the, the teacher is getting ready and one by one she's opening each egg up. She opens up one egg and inside is a, a little flower that's begun to, to bud and to, to bloom and the teacher congratulates whoever uh, brought that and says, yes, a, a flower is a symbol of new life. She opens up another egg and finds maybe a little butterfly. Maybe it was a plastic butterfly. And one by one, each of these eggs shows something that illustrates new life. And, you know, there's obviously one of those kids there who says, Yeah, my dad helped me with that. My mom helped me with that one. I couldn't figure it out. One by one, she's opening eggs. And she gets to the next egg in line and she opens it up. And she's horrified to find that it's empty. And in an instant, she realizes this must be Philip's egg. She wonders if he understood the assignment. She wonders if she should have spent a little bit more time encouraging and teaching or sending something home to his family. Not wanting to embarrass him, she quickly sets his egg aside and begins to reach for the next egg on the table. Philip raises his hand and, and asks the teacher, says, Miss Miller, aren't you going to open my egg and, and talk about it like you talked about everybody else's egg? And again, she's kind of flustered and she says, But Philip, your egg is empty. And very simply, he looks into her eyes and says softly, But Jesus' tomb was empty too. New life. New life as a result of Jesus, not just his death upon the cross, but his resurrection. The cross is empty, illustrating forgiveness. The tomb is empty. Not just that Jesus has risen from the dead, but the promise that you and I can be raised as well. It confirms there is power. Jesus has power over death and hell and the grave. There is nothing stronger than him. It's the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. It's not just that my sins can be forgiven. It's that I can live eternally with Jesus in heaven. An Easter like no other. A resurrection like no other. And I believe a number of you will experience that in just a few moments. 
Not just do we see an empty cross. Not just do we see an empty tomb. But it's an Easter like no other because there are empty clothes. So we're back on Luke chapter 24. Our imaginations are going. The women have gone to the tomb. Stones rolled away. The angels are there. After all that they've seen and all that they've heard, they run back to the rest of the apostles and they share what they saw. You'll never guess what we've encountered. Peter and John immediately race back to the tomb because they want to see for themselves. How many of you are individuals who are a believe-it-when-I-see-it kind of person? You know, someone tells you something and internally you're thinking, yeah, that's not right. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Prove it. Show me. Do it, right? Someone says, well, I can run this fast. I can climb this high. I can do this in the job. I can do this at school. And, and immediately some of us are thinking, I don't buy it. I don't trust you. I don't think you can. And here in the text, these women are saying something that sounds virtually unbelievable, right? That Jesus, whom everyone saw on the cross, died and was placed in a tomb. Now all of a sudden the tomb is empty and angels are saying, he's not here, he's alive. The word of God says that Peter and John raced back to the tomb to see for themselves. I want to see with my own two eyes. I want to see if what they said was right. Now, John stopped outside. Peter runs right in, the scripture says. And it didn't take them long to discover that, in fact, the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive. Following this occurrence, Jesus would appear to Mary, to Mary Magdalene, to the apostles. In fact, scripture says he would appear to over 500 individuals. He would show himself to that many people, sitting with them, walking with them, talking with them, eating with them, showing that, in fact, Jesus is alive. They would fellowship. They would hang out. They would spend time, have a relationship with him. What Jesus desires for you, what Jesus desires for me, is a relationship with you. He's not some force as in Star Wars. He's a living, breathing individual. Son of God who is crucified, paid the cost for your sins and my sins, who lives. He desires to give eternal life to you and to me if we know him. The question is, do we know him? Not just do we know about him. I think we're all pretty good at knowing a little something about a little bit of everybody. When it comes to famous people in the world, we know a lot of stuff about famous people. There's write-ups in newspapers and magazines and the internet, social media. In fact, a lot of the famous people will post things about themselves by them. So we, we can know a lot about someone. But do you really know who somebody is? We can know a lot about one another. You can know a lot about a classmate. You can know a lot about a, a family member. You can know a lot about somebody else in the community. But do you truly know them? 
question is not do we know one another, but do we know Jesus? No doubt there's a lot of things in this book, in the Bible, that you might know about. You might be able to name a whole bunch of books of the Bible. You might be able to, to share or recite some of the verses found in the Bible. Very familiar one, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. There's a lot of things that we know about God. A lot of things that we know about the Bible. But do we truly know Jesus? Or is it just facts and figures? He wants to have a living relationship with you. Those empty clothes indicate Jesus is alive and Jesus desires a relationship. Just as he spent time following that with many individuals, over 500 individuals, he loves you, he loves me like crazy and desires that living relationship. He left those burial clothes behind, indicating he's conquered death, he's conquered hell, he's conquered the grave, and he desires that relationship with you and I to know him personally. We can talk to him, pray to him, trust in him, live for him. It's an Easter, a resurrection like no other. Today I want to encourage you to remember the empty cross that you envisioned. That empty cross reminds us that our sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus accomplished on that cross. We can remember the empty tomb. Because the tomb is empty, there's the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. We can remember those Empty burial clothes. He's alive. He's living. He desires that personal relationship with you. That personal relationship with me. Today truly can be an Easter Sunday like no other. As we celebrate a resurrection like no other.